0: You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are a God who makes yourself known, that you have revealed yourself in your mercy to us through Jesus and that your word reveals Jesus Christ to us. So we pray now that as we turn to the reading and preaching of your word, that you would please illumine us, illumine us by the power of the Spirit. Strengthen me in my own personal weakness, in all of us in our weakness, that we might truly hear today and respond to your voice with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, great to see you, friends. We're wrapping up this six-week sermon series that we've been uh, kicked off the, our fall with, um, and we've are calling it we called it Life with God and Life with Others and Life for the World. And what I've been trying to say every week is that um, we're doing a little bit of spiritual exercising after a long period of disruption that we've been in over a couple of years with COVID. I think all of us probably would admit that we feel a little spiritually and relationally out of shape. And yet God is calling us on this adventure you just saw. We're going to, you know, this short-term mission trip to the mall. Uh, And so we want to be spiritually healthy and strong. And so uh, we've been talking about how we can arrange our lives, the set of practices that aim towards spiritual health. If you think about it, that's just sort of a fact of life. If you want a certain outcome, um, there's just a certain set of practices and habits that you have to commit to for that outcome uh, to be achieved. I mean, some of you I know have been uh, training for the Richmond Marathon um, on November 12th, and or the Half Marathon, and it's a really bad strategy to just say, I hope it goes well on November 12th. You know, I'm just going to show up and just kind of hope that it goes great. You're probably not going to finish if you do that. If you want to do well on November 12th, you arrange your life around a new set of habits that result in the outcome that you desire, right? And if that's the same for physical health, it's the same for spiritual health. That if the goal of every Christian, as it says in Scripture, is conformity to Christ, that we might be like Christ, become like Christ, bear the fruit of Christ's Spirit. If that's the goal of every Christian, which it is, then there are a certain set of habits and disciplines and practices that we can put in place in our lives that lead towards that outcome. Now, this isn't automatic. It's not magical. It's only by the power and the help of the Holy Spirit that these things happen. And yet, as Ruth Haley Barton, one of my favorite authors, says, we can arrange our lives for spiritual transformation. We can arrange the, the order and the habits of our lives. So that's what we've sought to do this fall. We've, we've sort of commended to you six practices, six core habits, if you will, that we are suggesting that we can do together as a community that aims towards spiritual health. And we've arranged these around these three great loves of Jesus. Jesus also arranged his life in a specific intentional way, and he gave most of his time to these three great relationships. His, his life with God, the Father, his life with his disciples and his spiritual family, and his life that was given for the sake of the world. And so we've sought to look at each of those. So the first two Sundays, uh, we looked at our life with God, and we looked at these two habits. You could call them habits of worship. So we said this, Here's the first one. Be fully present with the church every Sunday. That's a lot, right, in this day and age. To actually show up and be with the church every Sunday. But we're asking you to commit to that. Second, be fully present with God every day, that you would live your life practicing solitude, silence, prayer, meditation, and scripture. Live every day fully present with God. The second two habits were about our life with each other, our life in Christian community. You could call those habits of community. So habits of worship, second habits of community. And we commended these to you, that you would regularly gather with your community, that every one of you would have some smaller form of Christian community that you could regularly gather with. And second, that you would regularly serve and use your gifts to give to one another in the body. That's how we grow. So that was Habits of Community. And then these last two Sundays, we're looking at what you could call Habits of Mission, our life for the world, right? And last week, Elizabeth preached on loving your neighbor. And then today, I'm talking about loving your city uh, and your world, and we hope you'll come back to this again and again. If you go to our discipleship page on our website, you click on that menu item. It actually gives—it actually says across the top, "Practices of Our Common Life," and has all six of these these core practices listed there. And you can return to them as you need your own reboot from from time to time. Let me also just say this: um, this is a way that we can not only keep our personally spiritually healthy, but also the way that our congregation can stay spiritually healthy. I think we always, I think every congregation is tempted to emphasize one of the three of these over the other. And when that happens, imbalance and unhealth can occur. So if a church, for example, overemphasize life with God at the expense of the other two, it could have like robust worship and really good theology, but can become spiritually individualistic or hyper-focused on like right liturgy and, and precision of doctrine, right? And that's a danger. On the other hand, if if a church really emphasized life with each other at the expense of the other two, then it might be like a really healthy, like lots of relationships and lots of community, but maybe therapeutically oriented and theologically shallow and insular, cut off from the world, right? On the other hand, if a church is really hyper-focused on that outward movement, they might be very activistic and very missional, but they can can become... um, neglecting the needs of the members of the church, and, and frankly, legalistic in a hyper attentiveness to this core mission. And so it's really important that a church balance itself out by emphasizing all three of these rhythms, life with God, life with each other, life for the world, and all three of them are grounded and centered in the person of Jesus as his grace and spirit animate all aspects of our life together. Okay, are you all with me on that, church family? Okay, so Today, we're looking at um, this last practice, loving our city and world. Um, let me just say this. We have been looking at our values each week. And last week, um, we, uh, Fritz, who I was supposed to interview, Rebecca was supposed to interview in Catalytic Culture, was sick. And so I sent that interview on, online this week. It's actually a great interview. And Fritz has some really great things to say, Fritz Kling, about Catalytic Culture and what that means. And this week, um, missional orientation, I'm gonna be interviewing Jason Snook and Andrew Fuller, about the work of the church, both locally and internationally. And those two guys have some amazing stuff to say. So we're also going to record that online because it's so dense, and I'll send it out with my email on Thursday. Okay, so check that out. So as we wrap up this, we're going to look at this, this simple text from Acts 1. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Acts chapter 1. It's a really important text for the Christian life. And we're going to look—I'm just going to read these three verses, Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. says this, then the disciples gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, you knuckleheads. It is, oh, actually my text doesn't say it. It says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So a little bit of context here, right? This happens, this, this wonderful story happens after Jesus is risen from the dead and before he's ascended to go back to be with his father. And it says in verse four of chapter one that Jesus spent, the resurrected Jesus spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine that? Like for, you have a 40-day Bible study with the resurrected Jesus. For 40 days, like there's Jesus, risen from the dead in all of his glory, teaching you about the Bible, about the kingdom of God. Amazing, right? So it says after that 40 days, just before he's ascended into heaven, he's with his disciples and they ask this question. Verse six, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Now, the disciples say a lot of doofus things throughout, but this they gotta get a medal for this, right? Like, this is like the, the the most knucklehead moment of all. You know, even after all of this time with Jesus, they still, their question reveals that they are still thinking that Jesus in his mission is really just all about restoring the political power of Israel. They're basically asking him, Jesus is now the time you're finally gonna kick the rear ends of the Romans, kick them out of Jerusalem and restore Israel to political power again. And Jesus is just like, oh, guys. Okay, guys, it's not, the time for you to know about these things. It's not even for you to know at all about the time and seasons of these things. And in fact, it's not even about that anyway. You, and then he says this, you will receive power. Oh yeah, you'll get power all right. But it's not power to settle down and rule and reign and have your little kingdom party in Jerusalem. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, yeah, but then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's going on here? This is a, a, a world-shifting moment for the disciples. He is, Jesus is drawing them in to his great mission to the world. Kids, have you ever read the book, um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, or, or seen the movie? I, I think that's probably my favorite of the Chronicles of Narnia. And I love the opening, because in the opening, Lucy and Edmund, and I think that brat, that bratty boy, Eustace, are, um, are, are like at, at some uncle's house or something, and they're in a room, and they're looking at this beautiful painting on the wall of a ship, right? And they're, and they're even like imagining what could be in this, oh, I wonder where they're going, or I wonder who's on the ship. And they're imagining this story in their mind, and suddenly it looks like the, the ship is moving, and rocking and they kind of see the waves and then suddenly they feel water on their face and then suddenly the water starts pouring out of the painting and the room is filling up with water and then suddenly they're in the ocean, they're actually in the painting, they're in the water and before they know it, they are living, breathing characters in the story that they were just watching. They become a part of the story. And this is kind of what's happening to the disciples at this moment because they've been been watching the story that is Jesus for three years. They've been watching him. They've been seeing him heal and preach and teach and save and rescue and feed and liberate and and love, and, and serve, and die, and rise, they've been watching this kind of as a little bit of a, of a standoff, sort of watching him do these things, and then suddenly, what they find is that Jesus, they're, they're feeling that Jesus is drawing them into the story, and the whole book of Acts is about how these people are now living characters in what has been up to this point the story of Jesus. And this is what Luke intends. I mean, in in verse one of his book, he says this, in my first book, that is the gospel of Luke, I wrote to you about all that Jesus, what? What class? Began to do and to teach. Began to do and to teach up until the point he was taken up to heaven. Now, if the book of Luke is all about what Jesus began to do to teach, what is Luke suggesting about his second book? Anybody have an idea? Thank you. Well, you were here the first service, so that doesn't really count, but, but I appreciate that. Yeah, it's about what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach, right? It's the, book of Luke, I mean, the book of Acts is the same hero, the same, uh, the same protagonist, The same person who's at the center of the story, but the only difference is is that in the gospel of Luke, Jesus Christ is living and teaching and acting and healing in his own physical person. In the book of Acts, Jesus is living and acting and serving and teaching, but now he's doing it through his spirit-empowered church. The same story, but Jesus now says, I am continuing my great mission, and now I'm doing it through you knuckleheads. What a shock this must have been. I mean, these these disciples were like ready to celebrate. They were like, man, this is so awesome. Jesus' mission is accomplished. It's done. It's complete. Israel's about to be restored. We could just kind of kick back and sit back and enjoy the party. And Jesus is like, nope. 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 My mission isn't complete. It's just started. And the sun that has risen in Jerusalem in my resurrection, the light is gonna be spreading out first into Judea and then into Samaria and then across the nations and then to the very ends of the earth, to worlds and continents that you cannot even imagine right now. I am redeeming all things. I am rescuing all humanity. I am redeeming every square inch of creation. And I'm I'm using you to do it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, fam. The church is the continuation of the mission of Jesus. You know, sometimes we think about missions as like activity that humans do. Or like the Blues Brothers, like, I'm on a mission from God, right? It's like that it's, it's the activity that I do. And maybe God is like up there watching and sort of hoping that we don't mess it up, we carry it out. But see, that's exactly... It's exactly the opposite. I love what Chris Wright says. He says, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world, as that God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission wasn't made for the church. The church was made for God's mission, the whole Trinity. The Trinity is a missionary. The Trinity is a missionary God. The Trinity is on a mission through Jesus and the power of his spirit to bring his kingdom to all creation. That's what we pray for in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He's bringing his kingdom to all creation. He's redoing lives. He's redeeming creation. He's rescuing humanity. And he's gonna do that mission with or without us. And yet he invites us to be a part. And that's why Jesus says, go, you will be my witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They just point. You know, they're not, they're not pointing to themselves. They're not doing the work themselves. Witnesses just testify on behalf of another, the one who is at the center of the story, the one who is at the center of the work, the one who is actually the center of the mission. We are those who are swept up into the grand story of Jesus. And now we are just pointing to him that we can testify to the work that God is doing in and through Jesus and his mighty spirit in the world. Have you come to terms with this, friends? With you, the implications of this personally for your life? You know, I I heard a, a pastor once say that every Christian must go through not just one conversion, but three, three conversions. The first is the conversion to God, where you're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. The second is the conversion to community, where you realize that, your life is no longer meant to be lived on your own, but that Jesus is drawing you into his whole community, his spiritual family. And then the third conversion is the conversion to mission. It's the conversion where you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, my life is no longer about me and my agenda and the things that I want for my life and my own personal gain and my own personal wealth accumulation, like my life is no lo- can no longer be about these things. God is now wanting to use me and all that I am and all that I have to advance his mission, his redemptive purposes in the world. And that really can mess up your life and turn your priorities upside down. The mission of Jesus is at the very core of who we are. Yes, we're called to life with God. Yes, we're called to life with each other. But did you hear the new preposition? All of it is what? For. For the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of the world. I love what Bishop William Temple says. The church is the only organization that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not members of it. This is why we exist. For the neighbor, for the city for the world. Go, Jesus says, I am sending you. What does this mean? What does this mean practically? What is it Jesus exactly calling us to do? What does it mean to be a witness to Jesus and his kingdom? Well, some of you may remember when Chris Wright was here in the spring, um, that great missiologist, he was here for our missions conference, and he spoke in one of his talks about the five marks of mission, which I think is just helpful because it can help us realize just how extensive. Um, the mission of God is. And Chris borrowed these from the Anglican Communion, and which takes them from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And he says this, that, that the, five, the five aspects of the mission, that what God is up to in the world is evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him. Second, discipleship, baptizing and nurturing new believers. Third, compassion, responding mercifully to human need. Fourth, justice, transforming unjust structures of society. And five, creation care, safeguarding the integrity of the earth. I love this because when you look at Scripture and you look at what God is doing on the earth, what God is doing to bring his kingdom and redeem and restore creation, this encompasses the full gamut of what God is up to and that we can be a part of God's mission in so many different ways as we point to Jesus and his death and resurrection at the center of all of it. But that's still a lot. And so I want to just get even more practical about, we talk about how we talk about the particular ways that we try here at 3rd to be a part of God's mission in the world. And, you know, verse 8, though I don't want to be too literal about it, verse 8 in chapter 1 of Acts does give, like, a really nice, let's say, table of contents um, for the different spheres that God's mission is operating. And so And actually, some people have pointed out that this serves as a table of contents for the book of Acts. So the mission is focused on Jerusalem in chapters 1 through 6 of Acts. It's focused on Judea and Samaria in chapters 7 through 12, and then it's focused on, to the ends of the earth, Paul's missionary journeys in chapters 13 through 28. But it also can serve as sort of a framing for our own call to be a part of God's mission in our own lives here in Richmond, Virginia. So first of all, Jerusalem, I just want to encourage you to think about Jerusalem as the geographic area that is closest to you. So think about your neighbors uh, in your neighborhood. This is what Elizabeth spoke about last week. That's your Jerusalem, the, the place, the neighborhood, the parish, the particular part of the world that God has planted you. I loved that Elizabeth last week called us to think about the five people, five people that we interact with the most in our neighborhood, in our workplaces. And it very well may be that God wants to use you to share the good news about Jesus with one or more of those people. So that's our Jerusalem. It's, it's the, the people that are most proximate to us. That's your Jerusalem. Second, and one of the big things I'm talking about today, is your city, and that's really Judea and Samaria. Jesus says, you're gonna be about the mission of God that's not just in your most proximate community, but is in the broader region where I have planted you. And for us here in this room, unless you're visiting from out of town, hey, welcome, glad you're here. For us here, it's, it's Metro Richmond, Right? And the fact that Jesus says Judea and Samaria means that includes not just the people that are like you, but the people that are unlike you, the people that are different than you, right? Our whole region. And so what does it mean for us to be a part of God's mission in Richmond? Well, a text that has always been very important to us at 3rd is Jeremiah 29, 7, which says this, seek the, the what? Shalom of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Uh, the, God's people are living in a pagan city of Babylon. They hate it. They hate these people. They just want to hunker down and be with them, with each other, until God brings them back to their home. And God's like, "Nope. I want you to settle down. Get a thirty-year mortgage. You're going to be here for a while. Plant gardens." raise your kids, get married, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to embed yourself so much in the fabric of this city that it experiences shalom, which means flourishing, welfare, prosperity, peace. I want you to work for the good of this pagan city and pray for it because if it prospers, you prosper because this is what I'm up to in the world. And so this is amazing. God is telling us, that through our presence, by just being present and being rooted for a long time, I mean, Sarah and I have kind of, I moved, I, I lived in eight different places before I was 18. And Sarah and I just kind of decided, you know, we want to we we be rooted in a place for a long time so that we can work for the shalom of a place with the people of God. By, by simply being present in a place, by being involved in the public activity, you know, working for justice and beauty and mercy and holiness in a place. And for praying for a place, we are agents and vessels of God's shalom for our city. And so here's a few ways we can do that, church. One is to, to do in partner to do the work of justice and mercy and service, especially that is oriented towards the most poor, the most marginalized, and the most vulnerable in our community. We have over 30 different local partners. Some of them are sitting in this room, that we might that they can teach us how we can attend to those places that are in greatest need of mercy and justice and compassion in our city. We have an awesome opportunity coming up um, in three, two, two weekends in November 11th through 13th is our local missions gathering. And there's a, we're having a bus tour in the East End that led by Urban Hope. We've got two awesome guests on Friday night speaking about how we can help reweave The fabric of our city, especially in those places of our city that have been fragmented by years of neglect and racism and injustice, all those things. We can be a part of reweaving the fabric of our city. So that's doing justice, mercy, and service. Second, intentionally steward your work. Y'all are involved in so many different parts of the city already, whether law or medicine or education or public policy or finance or IT or real estate, art. God has put you in that place of influence. And guess what? It's not just to advance your career. It's for the sake of reweaving the fabric of our city so that it might be economically, socially, and culturally strong, that you can use your work to serve God in order to bring his shalom to our community. So intentionally steward your work. And then the third thing is be a part of the whole church of Richmond. No third church is not going to bring shalom to Metro Richmond. God's going to bring shalom and it's not going to be through one church. It's going to be through the whole people of God, right? And so a big thing that we can do is work to bring unity to the Church of Richmond, especially across cultural and racial lines. It's a big part of what we want to be a part of at Third. There's a lot of really beautiful work happening through through ministries like Four Richmond to help address some of the racial harm and division that's happened in our city in the past and to be a part of a new movement of healing and reconciliation. It's really beautiful, y'all, some of the stuff that's happening in our city. And we can be a part of that work of building unity that God might use his big C church to bring Shalom to our city. So we wanna measure our success differently as a church. We don't wanna just measure our success by how many new covenant partners join. We love y'all and we're so glad that you joined, but we don't wanna measure our success just by how good our church is. We wanna measure our success by how much our city is flourishing right? That's what God says we measure our success. Do our neighbors experiencing the love and the joy and the flourishing of Jesus and his kingdom. So that's Judea and Samaria. Finally, Jesus says, I'm sending you to the ends of the earth. You know, as a follower of Jesus, we are part of a global community. And it it's truly amazing to see the way that this has been fulfilled over the 2,000 years since Jesus gave this mandate. Because what started as a tiny community has now become, oh my goodness, truly a global movement in which Christians and Christian churches are in every region of the world. Do y'all know that Africa is now the center of global Christianity? There are more Christians in Asia than there are in the United States. There's more Presbyterians in Ghana than there are in the United States, right? So we are no longer in the center of the global Christian movement. And yeah, there are still many, many people who have not heard the good news of Jesus. Over 3 billion people in the world who are living and dying without the hope of Jesus. There are so many ways that the people of the earth are groaning under the burden of sin and hopelessness and injustice and oppression and war and hunger. And even the world, the earth itself is groaning under longing for the the children of God to be revealed, as Paul says in Romans 8. So our mission is as big as the world itself, which feels overwhelming. So let me again just suggest a few ways that we can do this. One, serve the world at your doorstep. We don't need a passport anymore to encounter people from other cultures. Do do y'all know that in the last 20 years, the population of foreign-born residents in Virginia has doubled to now well over a million people? 44% of immigrants in all of Central Virginia, which includes Charlottesville, Fredericksburg, Harrisonburg, Lynchburg, 44% of all immigrants in Central Virginia live in Henrico County. That's how diverse our community now has become with the immigrant refugee population. So whether it's through our partnership with the Christian Arabic Church, our Wednesday night tutoring and ESL program, volunteering with Crossover Ministries, which serves the immigrant population, uh, refugee care, we're currently working with two refugee families from Afghanistan and Ukraine, uh, getting to know Juan uh, Leydon, our partner who works with the uh, Latino community in Chesterfield, there's so many ways that we can serve the world that is now at our doorstep. We can also, too, connect with global partners. We have over 30 global partners working around the world, many of whom are serving under uh, unreached people groups. I think there's like a Monday night gathering tomorrow night for women about central, learning about the work of Jesus in Central Asia. Um, there's so many different ways to pray and be in touch with and learn about what our global partners are doing. We're taking a trip this spring to Egypt, to visit our partner church in Egypt so that we might learn from them and what God is doing there. So connect with our global partners. And then finally, care for creation. This is a way we also are a part of God's mission as he works to, with integrity, care for, preserve, and sustain this creation itself that he will one day be renewed. So I know this is overwhelming, y'all. I've just given you a whole lot of stuff. And I want you to understand, this is not for you to like be a part of all of these things. You get to be a part of the mission of the Trinity and ask, Lord, to show you what small part you get to be a part of because of the, you can now be a part of this story. So let me close just by drawing you back to that image of the voyage of the Dawn Treader. And Lucy, just imagine that. Lucy, Edmund, and, and Eustace being drawn into that story. You know, I mean, they're changed by it. They're cha- Eustace is... is converted by the experience. He never will want to go back to the way he was before because he's been drawn into a mission that is much greater than his own selfish needs. He's a part of something so big and so beautiful and so glorious. He doesn't want to go back to living the way he was before. Do you know how many people today are just longing for meaning, longing for purpose, longing to live for something that is bigger than their own tiny little story? We all want to be a part of something like that. And Jesus is saying, here it is. I'm on a mission with the Father and the Spirit, a mission of love to rescue humanity, to redeem creation, to restore every square inch of the world that my kingdom might come. You can be a part of this. What a story. What a purpose. What meaning our lives can have united to Jesus, joined to Him through His Spirit. Who would ever want to miss a story like that? So let's pray. And I'm gonna pray, and um, I'm just gonna pray as Jesus told us to pray, pray for, pray for our city, pray for our world, and when I say, Lord, in your mercy, please respond, hear our prayer. Let's pray. Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you and adore you that you are a missionary God and you are redeeming all things. Thank you that you are rescuing people from sin, death, and hell. Thank you that you are rescuing societies from evil and brokenness. Thank you that you're arresting creation from disillusion and death. We thank you that you are the one who is doing all of this work and we bear witness to it. Jesus, the lamb on the throne. We praise you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We cry out to you for our city. Pray to the Lord for it, as the prophet Jeremiah said. We pray for our Metro Richmond city. Of Richmond. We pray for the healing. We pray for the racial healing in our city after so many literal centuries of oppression. We pray for redemption of those parts of our city that are broken and frayed. Lord, we cry out to you. Yet another teenager killed by gun violence this week in the East End. We cry out to you, oh God. We cry out to you for our police force, for our mayor, for community advocates, for parents, for schools, for principals. We cry out to you that you would bring an end to murder violence and injustice in our own city, oh God. We pray for the immigrant and the refugee communities that are so many of whom are around us in Henrico County. We pray that we would be a part of being the hands and feet of Christ, of being welcoming open doors to the world that is now at our doorstep. Bring shalom in our region, we pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And holy God, we cry out to you for our world we cry out to you for the many people who have not yet heard the name of Jesus. And we pray for the many partners of ours and others who are working to share the good news of Jesus. Would you extend your gospel to every nation of the earth? And Lord, we pray for our world that is groaning, under-suffering, whether it's the specter of war and conflict or disease or hunger. We think of Ukraine. We think of the Congo and Syria and Sudan and Somalia and Yemen and Ethiopia these countries that have just been racked by violence and war and political ineptitude and the violence and the way that so many vulnerable people are being slaughtered and harmed because of these things god have mercy have mercy on our groaning world we pray would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven thank you that you are on a mission to redeem all things and that we can be a part of it lord in your mercy Hear our prayer. And now gathering our prayers into one, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom